Texas talking oh. What was that that you said Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys are Texas This is Maggie Haberman Presidential campaign correspondent for the New York Times And welcome to the last Tribcast of 2015 What a year it has been Can't wait to see what happens in 2016 Now here is your host, Emily Ramshaw Thank you, this is Emily Ramshaw Here with the Tribcast for Christmas week I'm joined by CEO and editor in chief Evan Smith. Just, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, I just can't make it work today. I'm not, I'm not feeling like it's, it's the holiday. Well, we could just quit the right. Tribcast right now. We'll all of us, you, we'll all of us would it. also like to go. Just, I would say, just call you Rudolph. Me, I would say, put me out of my misery. Except I'm going to be miserable regardless. Oh. So put him, put him out of my misery. <laughs> all right, executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Uh, the Ross awakens. <laughs> Give us your review. Good. It was pretty good. Yeah. No, no spoilers here. No spoilers. We could have like 18. I could tell you about the movie, and we could have like 18 minutes of erase tape. <laughs> the Rosemary Wood podcast. Con- concept of you talking this, about Star Wars for 18 minutes is like the most boring. Thing. <laughs> I don't know. Ex- except it might except. be a market improvement. John Boyega, the lead in this film, I promise to introduce one you. One of the great. <laughs> shut up. That's all right. Avon, don't even <laughs> was one of the great in one of the great movies that I've seen in the last five years. Attack the Block. Have you seen Attack the Block? Attack the Block. Oh, good movie. He, he is the lead in Attack right. the Block. God, that's a great movie. Same role, basically. <laughs> is that so? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and now and, he's in a better mood. <laughs> and reporter Amon Bethija. There we go. Hi. He's back. <laughs> What's up, Amon? I guess I'm in a better mood than you. <laughs> you that, that's a certain right. That was a climb. He's just making plans to attend Richard Linklater's fundraiser for Bernie. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It, it did look like a presidential political thing, didn't it? Uh, Bernie Sanders. I know. Yeah, it's just like the you know fundraiser for Bernie. Yeah, everybody's having a fundraiser for Bernie. No, 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 no. The other Bernie. <laughs> the headline of that story did once it was tweeted out on social media. Everyone was like, "Oh, Bernie Sanders. He's in this camp." Pretty funny. Alas. All right. Well, we're fast approaching the end of 2015, um, a year we started with lots of overhaul, new leadership in the governor's mansion, uh, at, in the lieutenant governor's chair, uh, and a speaker reelected overwhelmingly despite um, despite some turmoil in the House. So we're going to go around and do a little bit of grading. Evan was very concerned about whether we were going to give them actual letter grades. I don't want to give grades. <laughs> All right, well, why don't you... Okay, fine. <laughs> Evan, well, thanks for start? listening, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Evan, you go first, then. Yeah, we'll grade on a curve. Evan's well, getting a D. With, with, with the understanding that whatever answers we give today are going to piss off some, many, or all people <laughs> involved, I do think there is a an assessment that can be made of the people in the three leadership position. Are we just limiting it to that? We're not going to grade Sid Miller? Sounds, sounds like Santa Claus is handing <laughs> out lots of coal here. Why don't we, we'll hold off on Sid Miller, even though that Merry Christmas was specifically for him. Did you give him a little... Happy a little, holidays. A little Merry Christmas. Christmas. Right. Well, why don't you start with Abbott? I mean, what t- what kind of year did Abbott have his first year in I, the government's I, I would say that Abbott... I would give Abbott a B-plus, possibly in some areas trending to an A-minus. I think the jury is still out on some aspects of Abbott's time as governor, and hell, the guy's only been in a job for a year. You really can't judge him on the basis of that one year because I think we're still figuring out who he is, right? I think I think there's a lot that we don't know about Abbott. I think the grade is as much about what was accomplished as what was avoided. And what right. was avoided was getting into most of the partisan food fights that consumed the five months of the legislative session. Uh, and, and, and I think generally speaking, 
behaving less like a partisan attorney general than a governor who at least has to, in affect and disposition, be the governor of the entire state, not just the people. Who half the press car, half the press releases from his office look like he's still the attorney general. It's like having a, it's like <laughs> well, a two for one. That's why giving him only a B plus. It's like a two for one sort of a deal. You know, he's still yeah. I mean, does, waking up in the morning and suing from... the Obama administration and going home. Right. He he, he didn't do anything to take the state a, a step back or two necessarily. I mean, I think it was we're sort of not any worse off than we were before. And in some respects, he's probably calmed some of the roiling waters that were visible at the end of the Perry tenure. So I think he did fine, right? I did okay. I'd, I'd say a B. I feel like he's had a good year, but he's kind of dangerously getting close to being get, having kind of a Dewhurst persona. Where all these things yeah, happen. You know oh, Amon's going to get the first phone call. Right, yeah. boy, you're not in the holiday spirit. <laughs> Matt Hurst just left a flaming bag of shit on your doorstep, buddy. Well, let me explain. I, I feel like he's getting all this stuff done, conservative stuff, but, you know, it feels like someone could easily, you know, Cruz beat Dewhurst. Cruz him. Yeah, Cruz beat Dewhurst by saying everything that the Senate passed that was conservative happened despite you, and everything that didn't pass was your fault. And I feel like someone could kind of. Do that to Abbott. He, he hasn't. He didn't feel that present during the session. He, he's the he's the blame receptacle, but he didn't get credit. Right. Well, but don't governors not get credit? Uh, well, no, Perry no, was pretty Perry great. Got, Perry, Perry got all you know kinds what, of but, credit. But, but let's but let's be honest about what the job is. Governors don't do anything. This is a weak governor. This is a weak governor state. Well, but it, the power it of the bully, strong governor they have the power of the state. bully pulpit, and that's it. Well, no, it's you get vetoes, you got appointments, appointments, did and, you think and the bully that, pulpit. You, and, and and I think you know the problem Abbott uh, has is that I'm Perry, just fast forwarding to when I give Dan Patrick an A. Perry Perry so, Perry did a really great I'm job. I'm going to get a flaming bag of shit. Accumulating power in the no from Jason Embry. Yeah, right. Perry did a really good job of accumulating power in the executive and looked. Didn't you know? It wasn't a weak governor state at the end of his term. Well, and, and in now, part, it's, though, now it's reverting, and the legislature is reasserting itself. And you know, Abbott's not pushing back a lot. But I think those things are related. I think that part of the reason that Perry was able to be a strong governor is because you had a weak lieutenant governor. You know, speaking of the do, I honestly think that he was more like the don't. <laughs> he was don't Hurst, not do Hurst. <laughs> if we now look back over his tenure, and Perry was able to step in and take responsibility and power for a lot of things that traditionally have been the purview of. The legislature, and specifically the office of lieutenant governor, which mm -hmm. is the most powerful, generally accepted to be the most powerful job in the state. I think in the absence of a weak lieutenant governor, you have a much harder time for the governor. I mean, look, what have we talked Fun. about over what have we talked about over six months in the Tribune, in your column, and offline from what people have seen? The fact that it's really an Abbott versus Patrick more than a Strauss mm -hmm. versus Patrick universe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, right? what are the right. takeaways? If we look at this year, what are the high notes for Abbott? Like, what does he take away and say, this, this is what I've accomplished? Four out of five of his emergency items passed more or less without, uh, you know, too much fuss and muss. And probably would have passed if he hadn't been there or said anything. Man, you sure you don't want to give him a C? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, he didn't do anything negative. But, I mean, this was these were things that were mostly in the direction the legislature was going anyway. And the one that wasn't, ethics, didn't pass. Actually, it did pass, and he vetoed it. But he mm -hmm. vetoed it at the urging of the person who's the bill. But, but you know, I mean, part of the problem with the ethics thing, you know, just to, to mm -hmm. pick on that one for a minute, is he never said what his ethics bill should contain. He got it finally and said, nah, I don't like it. You know, he asked for an ethics thing. He got an ethics thing. He got to the end and said, no, I don't like the stark money thing. You're out. It's like you could have said that in January and we wouldn't have put it in. 
Or you might have put it in anyway, and then he well, right, and then you would have at least known. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna take credit for the thing or jump in front, then say what you want. You know, his lows were not very serious lows either. I mean, there was no. Jade Helm, you know, which made some headlines. Yeah, he prevented the sure. federal government from invading us. <laughs> and for, <laughs> right. in terms of his base, you could he got almost an A plus on that. Yeah, in terms of his base, you could argue that might, that was a win. Right, and you know the appointments stuff. I think that it, the year began with him appointing three regents to the University of Texas system board, which, while controversial, and in fact controversial to his right more than any place else, had the effect of tamping down the uh, the brush fire, mm-hmm. right? Extinguishing, if not fully extinguishing, then at least kind of put, putting it under control over mm-hmm. the system. Um, you know, there was some blowback against his appointment of Donna Bohorich, a homeschool advocate as the chair of the State Board of Education. But actually, she's gotten pretty good marks from some unlikely people. In the yeah, Thomas Ratliff. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, Mike Morath, his appointee as the commissioner of education, is being smack-talked by some superintendents around the state. He may be a little bit too friendly to choice and charters for their taste. That remains to be seen, quite honestly. Uh, we don't know yet about him and what kind of a job he would do. Um, Abbott's appointments have generally been predictable. Um his, I mean, I, this is the part where I would actually disagree with Ross and maybe give him a little bit higher marks than Ross would. He was elected after a smash-mouth campaign against Wendy Davis in which you would have been reasonable to believe, it would have been reasonable for you to believe that he was going to be the most conservative governor in the history of the state, no contest. And he got in, and in his appointments to his senior staff and in his articulated priorities for this year, he seemed kind of like a business-as-usual guy. He did not seem like the captive of Michael Quinn Sullivan or Tim Dunn or the or Joanne Fleming or Julie McCarty or the grassroots conservatives, which, after all, is where the momentum in his party is right now. And you would have expected that that's where he might have gone. That's where Ken Paxton went. That's where Dan Patrick went. But Greg Abbott actually took a, a broader view of his responsibilities from a partisanship standpoint as governor. And look, the thing is, everybody who doesn't agree with Abbott's going to say, well, you guys are a bunch of ass clowns for even giving him B's and A's because we don't agree with... We're not judging the the work product by issue. We're not saying we agree with him on Planned Parenthood or we agree with him on this, we agree with him on that. We're talking about how did he function as governor. I think you have to step back from the specific puts and takes of the issues and go, he did fine. No, although the Planned Parenthood thing has been kind of a debacle thus far. Right. And one of the appointments really stuck out, the Josh McGee thing at the Pension, Pension Review Board. Board. I think oh, it's right. going to, you know, Abbott decided to position himself against firefighters, cops, retired teachers, which is an interesting piece of politics. Right. Well, it remains to be seen whether anybody's paying attention. I mean, and whether it, ma- it matters. So is Abbott more of a Strauss than a Patrick? That's a pejorative in a lot of places. I mean, in, but, but I think the answer is probably Both yeah. of those are pejorative, depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, but actually, I think, I think he probably is. Mm-hmm. But don't you we're, think? Just, we're just divided anybody who was listening to this into, yeah, I want to keep listening to. Well, I don't know what the hell they're talking but about. But don't, <laughs> don't you think he's Straussier than Patricker? Strauss. Straussier. <laughs> well, I mean, I do. I got this thing in my head like a politifact meter. That <laughs> Straussier Joe's, or Patrick? Joe Strauss's face over here and Dan Patrick's face over well, let's, here. Well, let's talk about Strauss's year. I mean, I, you know, he came in. Um, there were several people, <laughs> literally several people, calling for his head. And, you know, at the end of the, the speaker's race, he looked as powerful as ever. I mean, what kind of session would you – what kind of year would you give him? And, you know, I thought he had a great year. I thought, you know, he came in – They um, it's the first time against Joe Strauss that someone's actually taken a challenge all the way to a floor vote. Um, they got 19 votes. Um, 
It's the first vote in 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, those 19 were the mosquitoes on the windshield. You know, it just, they showed their... Get a call. Yeah. <laughs> From uh, the mosquitoes? Well, they, they showed they, they showed they didn't have the votes. They right. showed they didn't have any strength. And they, you know, they were yelling through a, you know, turned out to be a very, very small faction in the House. And... Strauss was able to go from there and basically say, okay, here's how we're going and, and quieted, you know, I think he's pretty much quieted that part of the that part of the party in the House right now. They don't have enough candidates on the ballot that, you know, just finalized last week to unseat him. So he's almost you know, he's if he doesn't have a fifth term, it's because something weird is gonna happen mm-hmm. between now and then. The right. most obvious thing would be if somehow they beat him in his own primary. You know, it certainly wasn't a moderate session in the House by any stretch. I mean, open carry, campus carry, you know, all types of super red meat legislation eked its way through. This this has been the argument of the Strauss people. You know, they've, they've got some points here. You know, um, it's not that he's not conservative. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, he um, doesn't, you know, shout in the same way or, you know, he's not doing the same things that the Jonathan Sticklins of the world do. So what's your grade? For Professor? Strauss? I'd, I'd, I'd give Strauss an A-. minus. Professor um, Bethesda? I'd give him a B because the biggest stance that the House took all session was a sales tax cut versus a property tax cut. Well, and also $300 million less for – about a little less than $300 million for uh, less for Board of Security. And they got oh, that's true. And yeah. the Senate number was the one. They, so they lost that. And they worked out the pension deal, that ERS. They um, got uh, the dark money thing into the ethics bill that they wanted in there. Uh, <laughs> You know, they wanted an ethics bill that that mm. um, would force people to disclose when they're spending money on political stuff, and they sent that to the governor. The the Senate didn't really want it. The governor clearly didn't want it because he didn't sign it. You know, I mean, I I thought they got their way when they wanted to. I'd give him an A minus, and I'd give him an A minus only because there were some things that he had no choice, and the House mm-hmm. had no choice but to shrug at and go, right. yeah, the 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 fates are not on our side on this. I think that Strauss is to be commended for standing his ground on a bunch of stuff and the ha- and leading the House to stand its ground on a bunch of stuff, holding his team together. Um, Strauss is going to be, again, provided he gets past his primary and there's nothing unexpected between now and, and next January, Strauss is going to be the longest-serving speaker in the history of the state, tied with Pete Laney and, uh, Gib Lewis. and Gib Lewis. Who would have predicted that back in the old Polo Road days? Well, especially Strauss given his temperament. Be, Strauss yeah, has no. proved to be much more durable in that job than anybody expected. And given the fact that ideologically nobody would mistake uh, uh, Joe Strauss for Mike Lee or Ted Cruz at a time when the politics of the state are much more in the Mike Lee and Ted Cruz mm-hmm. and Dan Patrick camp than in the Joe Strauss camp. Joe Strauss has um, has remained steadfast in his uh, principles and has, whether you like him or like dislike him, and I think it's hard not to like him personally even if you disagree with him, whether you like him or dislike him, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he has held out hope for uh, a, a, a version of republicanism uh, that it's possible to be conservative without going off the end. I also just think, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting to have somebody with his leadership style and his sort of lack of rhetoric in a position like that. I mean, you know, every time something political happens and you get your media blasts, you know, it's the first outrage statement comes almost always from Dan Patrick. He beats Abbott out the gate almost every time. And then, you know, within 30 seconds of Dan Patrick, it's Ken Paxton. And then, you know, maybe half an hour later, you get something a little more legalese from uh, from Greg Abbott. And then, like, 
like maybe you get something from Strauss a, a day later, if at all. Right. I mean, it's just he does not play in that same sort of political, you know, rhetoric land. And I think it's interesting. It's an interesting show that you can sort of have that kind of mentality or have that kind of um, demeanor and stay in a job like this for as long as he has. I think it's because he has that demeanor right. that he stayed in this job. I think it's, right. you know, he doesn't get in front of the House members. His, you know, it's just... Nothing to see here, folks. Just keep on moving. Right, but nobody yeah. else learns from that or thinks that's, you know. Well, you know, the next speaker, every speaker is sort of a reaction to the last one. The next speaker will probably be somebody outspoken and, you know, forceful and, you know, in that way. I Donna mean, Howard. Somebody grabbing, somebody somebody <laughs> more likely to grab a microphone. And right. um, uh, Look, look the, here's the other thing about Strauss that I think we have to watch going into the next session. He's losing a lot of key lieutenants. You know, at one point it was fashionable to count the number of the members of that Polo Road gang who had departed? It's really down to ten, little nine, little eight, yeah. little. Right. <laughs> he's losing. He's losing Otto and Acock and Keffer. He's losing even in the case of some, you know, of, of a Democrat who had been a good Democratic vice chair of appropriations for him and had been a, a veteran in the House. Right. He's losing Sylvester Turner. Todd Hunter pointed out to me last week that of the 181 members of the legislature, there were only 10, four in the Senate and six in the House, who were around in 1989, 25, 26 years ago. There has been a total overhaul in the content in the composition of the legislature. The the veterans are disappearing one by one by one by one. You got all these new people come in. It, the challenge for Strauss is that the House next time, even if as and I would grant you based on the math that you did, that the math is probably not there to topple Strauss barring right. something unforeseen. Nonetheless, the House is going to be a different House. Not hard it, to make new lieutenants. Yeah, and you know, well, you can you can argue this round or flat. You know, the the, people. the advantage of having. Mm. Um, you know, one of the reasons that he's been so stable and been able to keep this chair as long as he has is because the turnover in the House has made it possible for people to climb the org chart. And, you know, one of the problems that um, other speakers have had, um, notably this was a Laney problem, was that his lieutenants never left and people got more and more frustrated. So maybe it's better for him. And when yeah. Craddock mm -hmm. came into office, he had 11 Democrats who were all sort of powerful um, experienced legislators, people like Harold Dutton, Sylvester right. Turner, who hadn't had a chance to move into some of those jobs and under Craddock had a chance to do it. Bill can Maluna I, can I ask a question, host? No. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so uh, do the math in your head, kind of blah, 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 and out the other side comes, yoink. right, yoink. out the other <laughs> side comes a number. What is the number of votes that will oppose Strauss? Will it be more than 19 or fewer than 19 next time? Hmm. It's not going to come to a vote. It's not even going to come to a vote. Who no. is the who is the candidate for speaker going to be? The anti-Strauss candidate. I don't know. I mean, come I haven't seen. On. No, I don't know. I haven't seen somebody step up. Nobody this time. You know, to at, the at, this, at this point, at this point, um, two years ago, we knew Scott Turner was going to do this, and we had. The thing is, we knew Scott Turner was going to do this, but we also did he were, actually ever do it? Well, there was the question of ran, some. Right. You know, Scott's the guy who's running now, but someone else more experienced will come up. And it never happens. So right. it makes me wonder if no one will bother this time. Well, a lot of the people that, you know, were sort of in this business have moved on. You know, David Simpson and Brian and Brian, Brian Hughes, Hughes would love Ken to Paxton. have done this. Mm -hmm. uh, Ken Paxton, right. you know, two are Scott running Turner, for Senate. For that matter. Scott Turner, everybody's right. everybody's Maybe it'll leaving. be Stickland. So who's going to run? He insists it's not going to be. You know, I think I, I think it would, he would be an interesting person to be kind of the kamikaze pilot if that's, in fact, the mission that we're flying. Rinaldi. If he gets here. You know, if he beats if he Ratliff, wins his, if he beats if he wins his race, the primary, right. he's got a tough see, primary. You could see Ratliff, you could see a Rinaldi, pardon me, being the kind of person who would say, you know, what do I got to lose? I'm going to get appointed to a committee that meets in Juno twice a year anyway. So, right. right. Hopefully, it's in the summer. <laughs> summer in Alaska is lovely. <laughs> I know. All right, uh, Great, then, Patrick. 
pivoting how, to... How'd you get out of grading, anybody? I mean, she's I'm the, the, I'm the host. She's, she's the objective journalist. <laughs> I'm the boss of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I know how many opinions you guys have. Um, so See how she just danced right through that? No, I would have <laughs> like graded. Centuries. I, I mean, I think... I'm probably below. I'm probably lower than you guys on um, on Abbott. I'm. I think I'm probably a B. Did one of you? I gave you a B. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, and on Strauss, I'm probably. I'm probably an A minus on Patrick, who we're pivoting to now. I would say, I would say I'm probably a B minus. Um, I think Patrick had a good session. Yeah, me too. Um, I you know just graded on the ability to kind of hold the Senate together to keep things rolling. He got rid of the two thirds rule. He changed the complexion of the place, um, and he ran an agenda very quickly through there. That whether you like it or not was you know I mean the guys got the trains running on time over there. He um, had a rogue advisory committee that um, yeah the rogue advisory you know. committee was a, a piece of work and the <laughs> and the early statement against um, pre K against guns. Oh yeah! Remember this? Mm-hmm. He almost he yep, almost he almost blew the gun blew thing. the gun thing. Um, so you know, but I thought he had a really good session, and you know, for a first session, you know, as those things go, those are often bumpy and rough. And I thought he I thought he had a pretty good year. I'd give him an A, A minus. Hmm. Well, Ross is very generous. I give I give him an A, and and this is not a qualitative judgment. Mm-hmm. I, Guy said during his campaign, it's "I'm a low quality do, A." Is that what do, you're saying? It's a no, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying I am for or against. I want to be. I, want, I think it's important that people when we, they understand what we're grading. We're not grading the quality of the product. We're grading. I'm not for a team. Success. I can. I can admire a pass right. without being for exactly. one of the team. You know, I, 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 you know, I root against Patriots every Sunday, but I can admire the fact that Tom Brady throws a magnificent spiral. <laughs> I think Dan Patrick threw magnificent spiral after magnificent spiral. You think he deflated the ball? That that's what the two-thirds rule was? Don't. <laughs> Calling him a cheater? I think he threw magnificent spiral this session after spiral, and it drove his enemies crazy. And one of the reasons that he's so successful is because he does not give a crap what they think or what we think or what anybody thinks. Dan Patrick does what Dan Patrick does. Dan's got a Dan. And if you go back to the 2014 campaign, he told you everything he was going to do. Anybody who was surprised during the session at what Dan Patrick did wasn't paying attention. He, he accomplished significantly more than what you would have imagined he could have accomplished. And he did it in large part because he did come in and he killed the two-thirds rule, which made – I mean, you know, it's fashionable for him. And Betancourt said to me last week in Houston, well, only 27 of the votes that were taken over the course of the session were straight party line. Yeah, but it was like meaningful vote, open carry, campus carry. He got a lot of things passed that could not get passed previously. He articulated an agenda. The reason he doesn't get an A-plus as far as I'm concerned is he could not – carry the ball over the, to go back to the Tom Brady analogy, he could not get the ball over the goal line on a lot of social issue stuff, which I'm actually convinced has less to do with him than it does with a misread on the part of the activists, not understanding that the process only makes some things possible. The, the people who demand 100% of everything never get what they want. You're never going to get that. Dan Patrick gave them 95% of what they wanted, and they should consider 95% to be a huge victory. And by the way, 95 in school is an A. So he gets feelings, an A. So your feelings are that despite the fact that there are completely different leadership styles from both Patrick and Strauss, they are both worthy of A's in your I, I do because, as yeah. you point this is the most conservative legislative product at the end of a session with no special sessions in the history of the state. Well, and, you know, it, it – one of the interesting things this session was when the Senate got rid of the two-thirds rule, the role of stopper moved to the House. And, you know, the Senate could roll through whatever it was going to roll through. It had a markedly, you know, the Senate, Patrick aside, was markedly more conservative than its predecessor. 
uh, seven new senators, all, you know, a notch or two more conservative than, or five more conservative than the people that they succeeded, and legislation would go to the House, and that's where it slowed down and got reconsidered and amended. And I think, you know, the legislature functioned pretty well this session, and, and you got to give both of the leaders credit for that. And, you know, and the other thing about Patrick, I'll give him credit for especially, was he kept his guys in line in the same way that Strauss basically kept his guys in line. Patrick was able to hold his votes. He didn't have a lot of, of people sort of squirming out. And to the degree he had problems, they were primarily named L-Type. <laughs> they both had, you know, you could see both of the... And L-Type is departing. He's going to get in, you know, either Brian Hughes or David Simpson. Right. He's going to get a vote that he is likely... Right. Uh, uh, to be able to, to L, L, and getting L type to vote with the conservative uh, block in the Senate was like nailing the classic nailing Jello to the wall. Fraser was a little bit more reliably with him. We all thought Estes was going to be his problem when Estes didn't vote for the two thirds rule change at the beginning. Well, I thought that Estes is apparently back in line mm. because Estes got a big chairmanship in the last week. The two most interesting right. votes of the session, in some ways, were the two, the first two big votes in the House and the Senate. One of them was the two thirds rule in the Senate. You kind of see where everybody lined up and how. Patrick managed that. And the other one, and I think it was to the great benefit of Joe Strauss to have that vote on who was going to be the speaker. Because, ha, there's only 19 of those guys. Let's go ahead. There's another theory. said the big bad wolf isn't so big. Another theory here as it relates to Patrick and grading Patrick is Ross has written a couple different times about this question of, you know, Patrick acting like a governor. Patrick has come out three different times, at least that I'm aware of, and answered a question before anybody asked it, which is, I'm not running against Greg Abbott in 2018. I'm not running I've, against David Duhart. I oh, finally wait. concluded why <laughs> he keeps saying that. He means it. He's not running against Greg Abbott in 2018 because he's already governor. He doesn't need to run against Greg Abbott. He's already governor. He's already got the power. His number is 512. He already has the power that he would, would want and need. You I could don't think that's you right. Could I don't make, think that's right I do. You could make an argument that he can accomplish more in a job he's in right now than he could as governor. You know, that was always Bullock's argument, too. You know, if, right. if, if, if you I don't can't, think that's true. I, you know, I don't think it's true. Um, you know, the, the, and he, and he actually— on, I'm willing to be out on a limb here. He actually, handed, me. he actually handed away one of his um, I, biggest powers at the end of the session. He's backing the governor. The governor uh, vetoed—made some vetoes in the budget that the attorney general yeah. is now backing at the moment. But yes. the— um, but it's basically a power move. This is, you know, one of those subtle things that if the governor can make those vetoes, you know, I'll let them argue that, you know, wherever. If the governor can make those vetoes that governors have not made before, then he just took a power away from the legislature. And Dan Patrick backed him in right. that. Well, he's happy because the budget's going to go down. It's a uh, forfeit. Vetoes, <laughs> appointments, grant making. I mean, there are a lot of things that happen Dan, out of the power Dan of the governor's Patrick office. Patrick is happy in the job he's in. He has but he's not. Power. I, I don't disagree with that. I disagree with the well. But you wrote a damn governor. column that said that he's acting like a governor. I right. He didn't say he's more powerful than a governor. No, I didn't I'm say saying that. I still think we've gone back to a weak. Because as we've proven, I read Ross's column. <laughs> <laughs> I only read Amon's stories when they get me into shit. It's just WrestleMania. Well, what do you think about Patrick? I, I think Patrick is has the power he wants. I think he gets to focus. I, I think. I think That's he get, not what you said. You're on a nice list. I, I think he gets <laughs> to push forward the issues he cares about and that voters care about. Abbott probably has more power in the long term and in the long term impact of the state, but it's harder to see, you know, appointments and well, more the more granular stuff. This is kind of an interesting thing. You know, Perry was clearly the top Republican in the state when he was governor. Who's the top Republican in the state right now? Patrick. Cruz, Cruz. Patrick. Cruz. Patrick. Well, you think but Patrick not, over but, Cruz? But not Abbott. I mean, interestingly, right. not Abbott. I mean, I think that's... Cruz, absolutely. Patrick, in the state, 
He's barely the, He's senator, the senator from Texas. No, I, I, I wish I, your face was audible, Emily. Great. <laughs> I would actually, I would like actually argue. I, look, I, I think Ted Cruz has exceeded expectations in terms of his national profile and his ability to drive a conversation. I'm not sure it's a conversation that has anything to do with Texas. I don't agree that he's the most powerful Republican in Texas. He may be the most powerful Republican from Texas. Who's the face I make of, a distinction. Who's the face of the Texas, of the Texas Republican, Republican Party? Party? Dan Patrick. I don't think that's true. I, I feel like you're, you guys are arguing about different things. Usually. <laughs> it's, all about, it's all about the preposition, man. Right. From... Or in. All right. So, which Texas, uh, which Texas Republican had the absolute best year this year, and which, and who had the absolute worst year? Sid Miller. You get to one answer from- to both. <laughs> no, I'm answering both. <laughs> Yosemite Sid. I think Dan. I think Dan Patrick had a great year in terms of the work done inside the state. I think obviously Ted Cruz is on the ascent right now nationally. Whether or not I think this ends the way he wants it to end, I think you could hardly argue that anybody had a better year outside the borders of the state than than Cruz. So does and that mean Rick Perry had the worst year? I was going to say, so do you give Rick Perry or Ken Paxton the worst year? Paxton. I give Paxton a worse year, too. Yeah, Paxton, you know, all other things, you know, just put the indictment aside for a minute. He hadn't been able to get his feet in his office. He can't get his well, footing as attorney all, general. But that is the, the indictment. indictment. Well, but I'm just, just as in terms of his official life, he hadn't been able to start. He's already 11 months behind, you know, he's because um, he's fighting the indictments and all of this other stuff. And um I just it, that's a world of hurt. Yeah, I think that's a world of hurt th- too. But you know, it, he may come out of this. Look, if the like Jim Maddox did, if the indictments go away, I'm sure he loves but, being compared to Jim Maddox. But, but it's, I mean, but it's going to be a hell of a long time if the indictments do go away before they go away. Do you think the Republican right. Party is hoping secretly that he's he's got to be plucked out of this job because I, of you his know I don't think troubles. they wish him any ill. I think they wish they didn't have any problems. And you know, to the extent that you know, I don't know that he has that his problems have become problems of the Republican Party. You know, this is a, a direct, straight-up analog to Jim Maddox in 83, who was the attorney general, um, liberal Democrat, former congressman, um, and got indicted in office and was fighting this stuff. And it didn't really taint the other Democrats along the way. And I think it's the same kind of thing here. They, they know that if Paxton falls, uh, that they have, you know, an army of people ready to go. In fact, they've got some who are quietly campaigning now. And, right. um, you know, it's 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 just a, a pain in the neck. They, you know, this is one of the places where they're kind of lucky in a way that they've got sort of the, you know, um, Greg Abbott still has his attorney general gear turning. Mm-hmm. So parting notes for any of you is did Rick Perry have the worst year? Me. I think Rick Perry had the worst year because he went in, even if he wasn't going to win the nomination, he wanted to rehabilitate his image and kind of end on a different note than the previous presidential Oops. campaign. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to do that. He made minor little flubs during the debate, and that's all anyone cared about. And then Trump came rolling through. Yeah, and so I feel like no, people aren't even going to remember his run, this run that much. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, he had the, you know, this is the easiest way to think about it for me is that, you know, he was not ready when the voters were, and they weren't ready when he was. And, mm-hmm. and it just. Well, that was said very nicely. I don't think Rick Perry had the worst year. Because I don't think that the expectations for Rick Perry were high enough for him to have failed to meet them. Yep. I think you're right. I mean, Rick Perry is largely, at this point, irrelevant. I think it was an irrelevant year for him. I don't think it was a case where there were all these aspirations. I think he actually had a much worse the, – the fall from, from awesomeness was worse the last time than it was this time. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, well, if you would like to grade the members of the Tribcast, you can F, F, F. <laughs> You can email us at Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. Todd gets a C. Right. <laughs> Just like uh, he did at college. <laughs> also, if you'd like to literally grade us, please take a minute and go rate us on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. Uh, we'd like, Yeah, right. Maybe. Evan, uh, you can give Evan an A-. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Amon, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Your mother and your mother and I talk about your future all the time, and let me tell you something: it's pretty freaking bad. <laughs>